Hey, how's it going? This is Craig Cannon, and you're listening to Y Combinator's podcast. Today's episode is with Vidit Atre and Adora Chung. Vidit is co-founder and CEO of Misho. Misho is a platform in India that allows people to resell products using their social networks. They were in the summer 2016 batch of YC, and you can check them out at misho.com. Adora is a partner at YC. Before working at YC, she co-founded Homejoy. You can find Vidit on Twitter at Vidit Atre, and Adora is at No Limits. All right, here we go. This is Adora from YC. I'm excited to have Vidit Atre, uh, CEO and co-founder of Misho, which was founded in 2015, and you went through YC in 2016. Um, so today, Misho is probably one of the hottest startups in India, if not the hottest startups. Uh, uh, and I'm super excited to hear about, um, for everyone to hear about your entrepreneurial journey, um, your thoughts and opinions on not just Misho, but the startup ecosystem here in India. Um, so thank you for being here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm super excited to be on this podcast. Thank awesome. you. Yeah. Um, so let's start off with, I love the name Misho, it's, which I believe is short for Mary Shop, yeah. um, which means my shop. Uh, and it obviously alludes to what Misho is today. Uh, maybe you can start off with giving us a quick background of what exactly is Misho and give us an idea of how big you are today. Sure. Um, so Misho is essentially a way for anyone, literally anyone in India, to come and start as well as grow your social store. And it could be on any social platform, WhatsApp, Facebook, Instagram, tomorrow it could be something else that comes up. And what happened, What has happened over the last three years is now we have close to half a million monthly active such social store owners who are making some income per month. And these people are selling across all possible categories. We started with fashion, moved to non-fashion lifestyle, now it's food some travel packages, cosmetics, so like almost everything out there. If you want to start a store and you do not have money to start that store offline, you come and start that store on WhatsApp, Instagram or Facebook. And we give everything that you need in the ecosystem to do so. So most of those people before Misho existed, what were, did they even have a business or most of them, you have enabled them to even have a business in the first place? Yeah, so I'll just set some context here, right? So it's very, very common in India like 90% of total commerce happens in these small mom and pop stores. And for every small shop that you see, there are 99 other people who always wanted to start a store, but just never could get capital. India is not such a rich country. Most people do not have access to capital. So these people who never had the opportunity to start a store came onto our platform and became entrepreneurs for the first time because we do not need them to invest any money in working capital or setting up an offline shop. You can come here, start your shop on WhatsApp, access anything from our supply marketplace, and only when you get an order, you purchase that from the marketplace. So just taking away those barriers of entry, I would say, so almost everyone who is using our app today has become an entrepreneur because of us. They were not doing this offline, like almost everyone. So when you think about then the end consumer, the people buying the goods from the resellers and the new entrepreneurs, um, were they buying it from other people like them before? Or what do you think about, you know, like why not just, I guess, sell directly to the, the people themselves? Why not the middleman in the middle, I guess? Yeah, so 90% of total commerce, this is 2019, right? And today also 90% of total commerce happens in these small mom and pop stores. You will see in societies, people will just put a board outside their house and start selling products. And most of these products are long tail, unbranded products, where there is no like pull of the product. People don't know about it. 
what value these people add is these unbranded products through their trust relationships, through this trust selling, they go out and push these products. They highlight what is special about it. And then people start buying. Then people start recognizing this emerging brand, right? So selling unbranded categories through like a mall has never worked out in India. It has always worked through these mom and pop stores. So when these unbranded products have to sell online, if you see like all big destination marketplaces in India today, mostly sell brands across all categories. None of them have figured out how to sell a lot of unbranded products. But now with these guys doing the similar thing, but not offline, but on these social channels, you have started to sell these unbranded products and across all categories. So we're just taking the same value add that these guys were doing offline to the social platform and giving them all the tools that they need in this new digital world. Most of these users, consumers I mean, have been buying the same kind of products from these small shops offline, right? They've not been going to malls, or they've not been going to the Amazon of the world to buy these products. Mm -hmm. Got it. And are there, is there a timing aspect here? Meaning, you know, a lot of startups who grow really, really fast, um, some of the founders say it's due to luck, but luck is also due to, you know, good timing. So what are the macro trends in your favor in India that allows you to grow so fast today? We've been super lucky. Right. <laughs> in many ways. Right. So WhatsApp started to become very, very popular about five years ago in India. So and WhatsApp was generally the first app most people use. So a lot of these people were coming online. Then about two years ago, Geo happened because of Geo. A lot of these people uh, have come online for the first time, like record number of people in India, like hundreds of millions of people in India have come online just the last two, three years. For those who don't know what Geo is. Yeah, so Geo is, is the new telco that has come and has drastically reduced the cost of data in India. So most people, a lot of people in India had phones, but they never accessed data because it was so expensive. But two years ago, Reliance launched Geo and now people can like go online for almost no cost. Right. And now these people have started to come using Facebook, WhatsApp, Google, now other apps. Right. So these people are coming online for the first time. They have been on Internet for just like a year or so. And because of that, and a lot of these guys in smaller cities like tier two, tier three or lower parts of the country, these are the people who are coming online because of Geo. And these people were buying mostly unbranded products because their um, monthly income is generally much lower than Metro's. They can't afford brands. They tend to buy more and more unbranded products. So us starting this business exactly at the time when Geo was coming big was definitely very lucky, mm -hmm. right? UPI has become very big recently, which has enabled, which has taught a lot of people to start transacting online for the first time, mm -hmm. which means people now getting comfortable by buying products. Like about 10 years ago, everyone in India thought that no one could buy a fashion online. Mm -hmm. You want to touch and feel the product which is not the case anymore because everyone has tried it. People are okay with easy returns and they're buying again and again like with a lot of trust, especially with people you know very well. So a lot of these things have come together for us. And fortunately, we started this business at the same time. We started seeing this behavior um, about three years ago and we just kept building on it. Mm -hmm. Got it. And um, a lot of people say in India, it's a, there's, it's a trust deficit market. Can you, maybe you can explain for the audience who's not from here what that means and how do you solve that problem in particular? So trust deficit is because of hundreds of reasons, right? So in India, most people do not believe in corporate companies. They don't believe in their own government. They don't believe in the judicial system. Court cases run for hundreds of years. Then they just never close. So most people believe that, hey, only I'm looking out for myself. 
so who do you believe in you believe in your community you believe in your friends and you believe in like someone that everyone believes in right so it's very very difficult for a new merchant to come and build trust with consumers out there mm -hmm. what we end up using is we leverage trust of people in your own community who come and start these social stores and then start selling to people around them especially in unbranded products where you have no idea what will happen to this product after a month right so you buy for example some apparel and after a month all the color goes away mm -hmm. and i have a lot of these doubts and this is no brand i don't know should i buy this or not mm -hmm. but when you buy from someone in your community who you know very well that trust deficit goes away yes. and ex this is exactly the reason why unbranded products in the offline world about a decade ago was getting sold to these small offline shops but in still in your community mm -hmm. yep. right so retaining that just solves for that problem like mm -hmm. india as a country is like that mm -hmm. Um, cool. And so, when you talk about your, who your average user is in terms of the reseller, entrepreneur, um, what what was their life before and after Misho, and um, kind of how do you help them get online? Essentially, how do you help them get used to selling goods online? Um, when, whereas before, if they were even doing it, it was totally offline and maybe in person. Correct. So our average user, like ninety percent of our users, are women, and. More than 80% of our users are tier two and tier three and below cities, right? So most of these are people with low financial incomes. A lot of these are aspirational entrepreneurs, people who want to start a business, but for a very long time. I can tell you anecdotes, right? When we started this business, we spoke to a lot of people who were doing this, like without us, which was a big pain, by the way. But when you speak to them, it mattered to them so much. Like this lady. Who is saying that for the last twenty years, I go to my husband every year and ask him that please give me money so I can start my boutique or I can start my store selling products, but she never got money, right? And when she came onto a platform and we gave her everything that she needed without needing any investment on day one, she was super happy because she could fulfill that dream, that aspiration of starting that store. Right, so this is my typical user. Most of these users are people with low financial incomes in smaller cities who are looking to start a business, who are looking to do something of their own. Right, and um, most of these people, what we have seen over time, and um, just to give you some sense of our product, most of these people, because they've not done this business before they come onto a platform, we spend a lot. In terms of how do we train these guys? So if you come onto our platform on day one, you will see a lot of content telling you what should we do, what should you do on day one, day two, day three. Even if you don't do well very after that, when we put you in a mentorship program, mm -hmm. where we connect you with some like top trainers for a month, and these guys will tell you how do you start a business. So these people have never done it. Mm -hmm. These are all the entrepreneurs in your system too, as well. Yes, these are like our top five percent of the users who want to do this because they get recognition. Yep. So it's like you started your own startup ecosystem yes. within Misho. That's great. Exactly. So these people are helping each other out. Like I'll give you an example. So we have a Reddit type community in our app, which is called Misho Community, and people come and say, "Hey, I'm a new user, and I'm based out of this place in India, and I don't know what to do to get started with this, but I really want to do this." <laughs> And then you see like hundreds of other users coming forward and telling them what should you do on day one. Like how should you get your first set of fifty customers? How should you curate and bring that value out so people start getting interested? But people start doing this. The community helps each other out. Um, I love the stories in which you've changed. You obviously changed some people's lives. Who, what is the what is the best story for you? Who is the best user in terms of whether they're just doing a lot of um, they've increased their income a lot or you just changed their lives so much? So 
it's it's just never been i'll give you some understanding about how these women are right so a lot of our users are women a lot of them are housewives like 70% of our users are housewives a lot of these women have been looking to start a business not just to make money right but to also get some sort of professional identity right no one it's very common in india these women feel that no one gives them any respect like my husband doesn't feel that i'm adding enough my family doesn't feel that i'm important enough but now when i am known as a business owner in a community people start recognizing me i have a professional identity i can also go out and say i run my business this is what i did last year so that feeling is very very important and empowering right so most like our most impactful stories are not just about how much money this person makes it's a lot about what were they doing before so we have widows who are not able to sustain like their their family feed their kids etc there are women who are like handicapped right so these are educated women but handicapped so no one ever gave them jobs so all kinds of stories are there right and this is the impact which tells us ke hey people are finding value in terms of income like our typical average user makes about 150 to 200 per month as income my top 5-10% does about $400-$500, <laughs> right? But I don't think that number matters too much so much. <laughs> It's about where were you before and how your life has changed. <laughs> Most of these people are anyways not doing this as the primary income for the family. Most of this is secondary income for the family, which is if it is 15-20-30% of your primary income, it's significant. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's getting like a raise uh, one year earlier <laughs> for the family. Yeah. Right? But a lot about... how you empower me what identity do you give me people start giving me more respect is like much much more important mm-hmm. got it that's very inspiring <laughs> um <laughs> so you. in terms of what's driven growth so far obviously there's a timing piece um <clears throat> there's you you're enabling e-commerce you're enabling entrepreneurs to start their businesses is there any anything else specific to what you're doing internally to help you drive this growth so I think we keep solving some very hard problem every 6 months. When we started off, we were just enabling existing guys who were doing this because we saw this behavior a lot of people in Gujarat and Karnataka were running these WhatsApp stores even before us. Because they had gone out, met suppliers, figured out how to do courier, they figured out how to use tools on WhatsApp etc. But there were few. So in in like 6-7 months, we onboarded a lot of them and then we did not know what to do. and then we changed our product completely because we had to create users like we have to create our resellers none of them are doing themselves so we changed that and suddenly so many people like every tier 2 tier 3 women out there became our target customer mm-hmm. and then the second thing that we did was how can and which is still the north star of the company how do we grow income per reseller every month mm-hmm. which meant growing number of categories mm-hmm. so we started with only ethnic fashion over time we just down now do everything mm-hmm. Now we have even set up a supply chain from China, so you can not just access supply which exists in India, right. but even cross border, right. right? So now you can offer better variety, you can sell even more unique things, so you make more money. Mm-hmm. Then we said, "Okay, hey, can we like enable not just housewives but other people?" Then we started going out. We onboarded students, we onboarded retired folks who are trying to make pension. We have a lot of men who are unemployed who do not have jobs, and they are running these shops to sell these products. So it's now practically everyone. Mm-hmm. You're basically going to eventually employ all of India. Yeah, we so. want to. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, so, as the trap that some startups get into, a lot of startups get into when they grow too fast, is a quality issue. And I heard you say something very interesting. Um, 
I don't know where, but in another interview, and you said you don't really want to scale customer support because it's unsustainable. So I'm really curious how you balance growth and quality as you continue to grow really fast. Correct. So it's it's always been a cycle, right? So you grow very fast, and then you realize you've carried so much debt around, a lot of ops, a lot of manual things, and then you start focusing on how do you improve quality. And I think we see that cycle almost every six months. But both are important, right? This last year was crazy growth for us. Like we started with a number, and the number we ended with, no, most people can't imagine how that has happened. But during that path, if we started optimizing for quality. We would have broken down as a system, and as soon as that year ended, like last two months post Diwali is generally a lean season here. Mm-hmm. We just spent all our time in fixing whatever debt we had carried. So you have to do both because if you keep, if, for example, if you keep scaling customer support, if you need customer support, that means there's something wrong with the product, right? So you have to go back to the drawing board and understand why are people calling me, <laughs> right? Right. And then you start optimizing for hey, my product is broken in these places, and I have to solve them out. So. Not just in terms of cost operations about what overhead you have, but just giving a great experience. Mm-hmm. You need to solve for these things, and at this stage, we focus on it. We have a dedicated team within the company focusing on this. But in the early stages, we had to compromise. Sometimes we just focus on growth. Sometimes it's quality. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah, that's great. It's just taking a step back and looking at how th- there's a certain point. There's a certain bar in which if you dip below it, then you kind of have to pause and then go fix the stuff and exactly. then just keep going to the next level. That's great. Um, all right, so you probably get this question a lot, um, but I'm going to ask it anyway. <laughs> what if Facebook does this, or what if Amazon? Why can't like why wouldn't just Amazon or Flipkart or anyone just win this space? Yeah, about Facebook, I I just think this is one of the so many things that are going to happen on Facebook ecosystem because people are spending so much time there. Is Facebook starts doing everything? Yeah. I'm sure they'll not do what they're doing right now, right? If you look at, for example, China, like Tencent invests in so many use cases that are happening on WeChat mm-hmm. because they can't do everything themselves. It's impossible, mm-hmm. and it's not in their DNA as well, right? So you build a platform which does something. You do not want to go out and onboard two lakh suppliers and make sure their quality <laughs> is right, but that's not your business. That doesn't seem like in their right? DNA. And you can't do yeah. this every day. Like you Correct. start a new business because you want to capture all use cases, like. The way to do it is like partnering with us, and we do work with them very closely. Like we share what our users are telling us, what can improve, how can these platform become better in terms of enabling commerce for these people in smaller cities. We do that, yeah. but I don't think it's viable. Even if they start doing, it'll have to stop at some time because this is one of the few things that are going to happen on WhatsApp. Yep. It's not the only thing that's going to happen. Yep. In fact, makes their product more sticky. Correct. That people are doing this, and they recognize it. Like we are creating new merchants for them. Yep. Yeah, and these people are going to come back. You're making them bigger, yeah. <laughs> stickier. Yes, <laughs> cool. So I want to take a step back and go all the way back um, to your college years, yeah. in which I'm guessing you were starting to think about I want to do startup. So you and your co-founder met in college. You were classmates. Yes. Tell me a little bit about when do you guys know you wanted to start a startup together, and what were your initial ideas? Yeah, so in college, practically, um, we did not think about doing a startup. Okay, right. And in college, we were said, "Okay, hey, we're gonna go out, get a job somewhere, chill out, like have fun, whatever, right?" And but we used to work on a lot of projects together. I still remember we worked on our like college project that we do in the last year. We worked on certain things that we went out for competition. We worked together, so we knew each other very well. But that time, we we're not thinking about doing startups. Like, and it's not just us. Like, this is 2008 to 2012. Starting startups was not. 
uh, cool thing to do. That started after Flipkart became bigger about 2014-15 and after that IIT is like, hey, everyone wants to do a startup. <laughs> so it's pre-cool phase. But what happened back in 2015, like three years out of college, I was working with Inmobi here, Sanji was working with Sony in Japan. <laughs> And randomly oh, he was one in Japan. Day, yeah. So he was working there and one day he randomly calls me and saying, hey, I'm looking to join a company in Bombay because I want to come back to India. And can you ref check that company for me? <laughs> and I said, why do you want to work with them? It was a startup. Mm. Like, if you want to work in a startup, let's do something ourselves first. If it doesn't work, then you go there. Awesome. Right? And just on that call, with no idea, nothing in mind, we agreed that, hey, we will do a startup. And right from next day we started focusing on okay, what problems can we focus on started we created a google spreadsheet listing all the ideas we had talking to people around us mm -hmm. but that's that's how it was it's all unpredictable uncertain no plan around it at that time i was planning to do an mba like everything changed <laughs> right so yes. that mba that's how it is, is no longer needed you got your mba yeah, yeah it's because i just felt like a very good friend of mine. I know I can work with Sanji for 100 years of my life, right? And when he's saying that he wants to work in a startup, like there was no better opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In some sense, the best teams are, they knew they wanted to work together, regardless of the idea. And then they just came up with the idea along the way. Correct. Yeah. All right, so you guys decided to start working together. Um, I know, I think the first idea you had was Fashioner, or was, is that true? Yeah. The first true. one you actually started working on. So tell me a little bit about that. You know, how do you come up with the idea? How did you figure out like it didn't work and then the pivot into um, what is, I guess, the first version of Misha that is today? Sure. Um, so back in 2015, like doing O2O or Hyperlocal was very popular in India. Like everyone thought that, hey, almost everything will be sold on demand, hyperlocally. And we thought okay, everyone is working on problems, but no one is looking at fashion. So we said, let's build Hyperlocal for fashion and we build fashion here. Um, think of it very similar to what Swiggy is for food, but just for fashion. We did that for four or five months. We learned a hard lesson. It doesn't work because in fashion, fulfillment is like the third thing that is most important. The first thing is selection, which you can never have around you. But that was like the lesson that we learned. But the good thing was, right, it became a starting point. So when we built out that marketplace, we used to go to these small shops in Bangalore and we used to onboard them as suppliers. Mm. And these small shops are everywhere, like in Kormangla, where we are right now, in HSR, everywhere. And my pitch used to be that, hey, I'm going to take you online. And these guys will say, we are already online. What do you mean by that? Say, I sell on WhatsApp. <laughs> <laughs> and then you understand, like, one level deeper, what does that mean? They're saying, I have created a WhatsApp group of all my existing customers who have ever bought from me. Mm -hmm. And every time new stock comes into my store, I take photographs of all of them and post in that group saying, hey, these are the few products left. If you want to order, you order right now. Mm, got it. So it was like leftover excess yeah, inventory. So okay. These guys like re-engaging with their customers on WhatsApp. And this guy was saying that I sell 30-40% of my like total business every month on WhatsApp now. Mm -hmm. And my like brother who's in Whitefield does like much more than that. We thought that was super exciting. And then we met a lot of other small shops and we saw the same behavior. Mm -hmm. And the good thing was, no one in India knew about it. So we thought, hey, this could be the idea we should work on, right? And we had learned a hard lesson with like what we were doing before. We learned, like at that time, uh, we were speaking to VC. They recommended Hyperlocal School. You will get funded, etc. This time we realized we have to do something that we believe in ourselves. And when we had spoken to these 50, 100 such suppliers offline, we were very confident that, hey, this is going to be the next big market. A lot of these SMEs are going to use WhatsApp. So we just built a tool. Think of it as uh, mobile only, 
India localized version of Shopify tailor made for doing commerce on WhatsApp Facebook mm-hmm. right and we built it out and we started going to all these small shops and saying I know you sell on WhatsApp use this tool mm-hmm. and I know you sell on WhatsApp used to go to exhibition etc and that product started to grow very well mm-hmm. right and with the same product we went to IC we raised some round angel round but 6 months 9 months down the line like everything changed it was a tool which was free so you're not making any money right it was growing retention used to be lower than what we expected and when we used to speak to our users we realized that about more than half of our total users were not the same segment that we intended this product to be for it was not that offline shop a lot of them were housewives mm. who were running their boutiques on whatsapp so everyone saying i run my boutique on whatsapp it's called xyz boutique like with its boutique like adora's boutique and they will create a logo mm-hmm. and they are selling there and then we understood what they were doing like most of these women were based out of gujarat which is like the big manufacturing sector in india so it's it's easy to access supply in that state so most of them were women based out of gujarat who were going out getting phone numbers of these suppliers adding them on whatsapp getting products from them curating and selling it to their customers and when they get order they collect money give to the supplier who directly ship it to their customer mm-hmm. yeah and they are running boutiques on whatsapp and you're so inspired when we met these women if everyone in india could start a shop like this it will be very powerful yeah yeah so in some ways it, it's cool that you thought people were going to use it in one way but actually there are another set of customers that are using it in, in yes. another way and that's what actually started growing and it happened by itself like by i don't know by luck by chance but people just came and they started using that tool to do something we never expected what was the point in which you thought this is it like was there like a certain metric you were tracking it was just growing really fast or there was a there's a story where you're like oh man this is going to be huge So right after we discovered this because our existing product was also working mm-hmm. so we created two teams in the company so Misha was what we were doing earlier and we created another product called Misha Supply mm-hmm. and we I separated a team internally so there is to be one room for Misha and one room for Misha Supply and these guys were building out the tool so that everyone could do what these women were doing that was Misha Supply and we did this on WhatsApp So we did not build an app this time. Like Sanjeev wouldn't have let me start another <laughs> website. They had already built two different apps, and they were not going to be a big business anyway. So we started doing this on WhatsApp. We used to connect with these women, send them products based on whatever data we have. We created a supply marketplace on the backside. Had an office in Gujarat. Uh, same chicken and egg problem. I don't know what all we did at that point in time. Figuring out how do we get some supply to sell. but just on whatsapp with no app no website in 6 months you're doubling every month every month and this was still going at the same space um retention was lower than what we expected we thought that i could not do two businesses mm. i have to choose between them and i can see this business is exploding on whatsapp yep. if i build out an app what will happen so we just shut it down and we renamed misho supply to misho mm. and that became the only focus we will work on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How hard was that? Cuz most people have a really hard time trying to let go of this one thing that's actually not doing bad. It's actually doing fine. <laughs> so it was very very hard, but it was not as hard because I had Sanjeev, right? Mm-hmm. If my I have seen so many friends around me who were just not able to pivot because it was a hard conversation with their co-founder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? 
and the co-founder starts not believing you mm-hmm. because the belief that me and Sanjeev have is not because of what we are doing right now is because we know each other for more than 10 years mm-hmm. this did not matter mm-hmm. right so i said we both understood what's happening we said let's take a call mm-hmm. and then we convinced all the team members over time they also came on board initially everyone pushed back like hey you keep changing what we are doing every 6 months mm-hmm. <laughs> right even though that was course correction like now if you see it uh back but it was important yep. so i'm saying just because you have a co-founder you trust blindly it was easier yep but um i i'm very sure if i was starting this company with anyone else mm-hmm. i would not have been able to do these two pivots and most likely would have been done back then how did you announce it to there's the hardest piece is probably making the decision itself mm-hmm. and then the other hard part is telling the whole company hey listen the thing you signed up for we're actually going to do this other thing how did you manage that whole process so first because i was very clear we did this for 6 months it's not a small period we did both for 6 months after 6 months i could see like hey i know we have worked on this for the last one and a half years right there is sweat that has gone into this but this is working mm-hmm. right so you have to be logical about this if it keeps brewing you will make money and the other thing that happened at that time you were struggling to raise money mm-hmm. uh um we were one of the few companies after yc who did not raise a lot of money at demo day right so we struggling to make money here we were making money by charging our suppliers here we were not mm-hmm. so it was very clear what yep. you have to do right okay hey by this, pure need yeah <laughs> just by pure need you have to do this right. so everything was pointing to one direction so then we knew that we have to do this this next thing was how do you get the consensus in the team that hey whatever you worked on for the last one and a half years is not going to be the core business anymore mm-hmm. and then when we just sat around with our team i think they understood over time it took it took weeks we used to come back and discuss the same thing again mm-hmm. <laughs> and everyone will put forward ke hey let's give more time let's keep investing there and i was saying ke you need to focus on one thing that's about belief you can you can't do 100 businesses yeah. even if you want to yep right and over time people came like came about this and everyone agreed on the same thing and then we started focusing on this and even then we continued to grow very fast like in just 3 months after we made the shift of shutting this town and just doing this because it was growing so fast everyone was very clear okay hey we made the right decision mm-hmm. yeah that's great so when when uh, startups start becoming really big companies the ceo's role changes a lot and many times they uh get further away the distance away from the actual user and what they actually want so i know you do you've told me some in private conversations some really great things that you actually do to uh keep in touch with the users so love you to share what what you can about what you do there to make sure sure in touch so our business is a unique business right so most people build products for themselves that they use themselves right because they feel the need themselves mm-hmm. in our case we are building for a different segment like i am not a woman and i am not a housewife <laughs> right yeah. and we've always recognized this as one of the core problems since day one like if i have to build for an audience which i am not them myself then i have to stay close to them um there's one line i tell most people the best thing to do is build a product that solves your own problem the second best thing to do is build a product that solves problem for someone who can't solve their own problem Mm-hmm. right yep. and we realized ki hey, i'm solving problems someone else but have to be very close to them so since day one every user that we used to onboard used to come to our app i used to add them to on whatsapp and i say i'm going to do customer support for you any problem you tell me every time we're thinking of launching a new feature i will check with everyone what do they feel about it just keep talking to them 
and over time i built relations with a lot of those folks even now like a good number of 100 250 like 100 200 people who are our top users are added on my whatsapp and if something gets delayed they still ping me mm-hmm. but because of that i get to know what's happening on the ground you know right away also yeah. when stuff is wrong it's very very important yep. right it's like a check and balance on the whole company you release one bad feature because you're not using it right now you will not get to know about it yep. but my user will come forward and tell me ki, hey this is broken mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that is very important and i think as a whole company it's not just me as a whole company we have built a culture which is very very user focused mm-hmm. right because the day you start taking assumptions start thinking on behalf of users and say this is how it should be you start doing mistakes so all my management goes and sits in the call center every month mm-hmm. for half a day and just listen to user calls just understanding what they're facing today and everyone comes out with something new that they never thought about mm-hmm. yeah we do something um and i think one of the very few companies out there as we do town halls for our existing employees in the company we go out and tell them what's working well what's not working well what numbers did we achieve what are we planning to do going forward what new things we launched right we realized that our users who are these like store owners on these social platforms are also the same part of the company as our employees so then i started doing what we call as we hear you every month where i create a video and i talk about what kind of things we did last month what kind of things we are planning to do and what are the things that are not working well and we'll work on them it's like a town hall for our users and it has got amazing response like every user comes back and responds there and with like very big answers what needs to change what is not changing most people love it most people look forward to it because it's like i get to know uh, from the company okay hey what's happening everyone like most of our users feel part of the company mm-hmm. we also do like few other things like one of them is most of the celebration that happens in our office we generally call most of our users in bangalore to come and participate with us mm-hmm. so we are having a party after maybe a funding round we call our users who also like have fun with us yeah. so we get to talk to them mm-hmm. do like whatever they want to something just staying with them yep all of this is just to stay close to them yep because if you close to them they'll keep telling you what are they feeling about and then you will not make those mistakes that most people end up doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the the first thing you talk about staying in touch with your first 100 or so users. Um I that's I actually tell a lot of founders that's what do what Vidit did because that that will keep you in the loop at all times. And the the we're, we we for here we we hear you. We we hear you, sorry. Um in hindsight that is genius and everyone should do that. That is if I ever start a startup that I'm going to steal I'm going to be stealing that one. I'm I'm sure I think it's like one of the best things we have we have done like in the last one year. Yep. Um and it just works amazingly well. We get to know so much feedback every month. Mm-hmm. Every person in the company knows what our users feeling. It's just amazing. Yep. And I think everyone should do it. Yep. So in terms of your role, tell me a little bit how it is, has evolved over time. Obviously when you had no users you were like on the ground being super scrappy and just like building stuff and talking to users yourself how has that evolved over time to what you are today which is a company of hundreds and hundreds of them. how many employees do you have now we have 700 700 employees <laughs> um yeah so what is the difference now so i would say until we got to product market fit right my whole job was just to figure out what the business model will be in the long term so i was doing everything on the demand side like i got my co-founder and another very uh, like a good friend and early member of the team who was looking at a lot on the supply side 
but i was like i have to figure out what the business model will be mm-hmm. and doing these pivots talking to users just keep talking to them what's working what's not working i did everything on the growth side on the product side uh, we hired our first product manager after we did our series a and we hired our second product manager after we did the series b so i was just doing all of that work because i knew it's my responsibility to figure this out mm-hmm. and after we had very clear signs that hey this is scalable this we have reached product market fit my job changed suddenly you have to get the team so that we can manage this growth mm-hmm. right after this so after this my role has been just on hiring mm-hmm. like hiring people who believe in our culture who believe in our values who believe in the mission that we have like solving for people who are like the kind of users we have mm-hmm. and hiring them and just making sure that our if we change our direction which i don't think is right making sure like course like doing course correction at times making sure the direction of the company is right mm-hmm. motivation motivating people at all times but this is my work now yeah yeah like nothing do, else do you ever miss the old days i do i do like many times i like yeah. i just go back i still spend a lot of time with the product team mm-hmm. uh, not so much others because i like it like i like understanding what do people want more mm-hmm. right so it's like once you get a habit of doing this right it's very very hard to come out of it but you know business needs it i need to have people so that we can sustain this yeah yeah what are the as you've grown over time through your role what are the resources here in india that you've leveraged or elsewhere to help you do, help you do well so i think as a ceo and as a founder the best way to learn is always talking to other founders and i have seen every problem that i have is never the first problem yes. right so i i've built a network through our investors through our board members who have other portfolio companies fortunately have built a good connect with a lot of like founders who have built great companies such as swiggy uh, ola others right and going to them talking to them ke hey this is what i'm facing did you face the same thing and they would say always say yes and then you understand how did they solve for it mm-hmm. and i think this is the best way to learn mm-hmm. like everything else i read a lot of books like everything that is out there related to startups founders but all of that is not in context of what you're doing a lot of those books are written outside india mm-hmm. yeah but when you go and meet these founders you understand what's happening like f- even just within our yc circle i spend like we me and archit who's the founder at clear tax yep. we take a stroll every friday morning i love that yeah and we discuss what are we doing that's all and what is working what is not working and he will tell you what is working for him and i will go and try it out in my company and vice versa and it works fabulously well yeah so i think the only way you can learn is founders speaking to other founders yeah yeah having a strong peer network is so important yeah um speaking of which what's a what's a big mistake you've made that you now that you have you're talking to lots of founders listening to this podcast that you hope they never ever make um and yeah what did you learn from it i think we made the first mistake right after we decided we want to start up mm-hmm. so at that time we just kept listening to vcs on day one we went to vcs and asked them what do you want to do right the second thing once we started we went to vcs looking for funding and they said if you do this and you get to this metric then we'll fund you mm-hmm. and we spent the next 3 months just getting to that milestone and then we went back to them and it was like okay now now you do this and you get to this then we will fund <laughs> never ending yeah and then we wasted 4 months of our time but it was such a big lesson after that i've never gone to them understood ki what should i do because i know they don't know yeah. right so yeah. it's the biggest mistake most first time founders do right they think hey they are going to fund us 
like if you just listen to them things are going to work out but it's never the case mm-hmm. you have to believe in what you're doing you have to believe in the idea you have to believe in the product mm-hmm. you don't have to make someone believe in something you just do it for them yep yeah makes sense um vcs no matter how smart they are they're never going to be the expert in what yes. they're doing that's for sure so what is the best decision you made in the early days of misha when looking back was super critical to your current success i think my best decision ever was to start this company with sandeep yes. right like almost like a lot of other mistakes that i've done mm-hmm. have not been such big mistakes because i started it with him mm-hmm. we just gave us time mm-hmm. and we could go through that whole process of changing what we have changed in the business mm-hmm. right hiring people who are like us hiring people in our own network going through those highs and lows that we were never prepared for when we were doing our job so i think the single best decision i have made is starting it with him that's good um and is what's one strong opinion you had about running a startup um that has completely changed or reverse since you started aside from the vc thing <laughs> yeah so it's coming back to the same thing right so everyone that i used to go to like a good of a, a good chunk of my friends were doing startups um at the time you were thinking of doing a startup mm-hmm. and most of them used to say ke hey if you don't your own solve your own problem it's very hard right so on day one when we were thinking about the model we thought ke hey we'll build fashion for us mm-hmm. i don't like to go to a mall but i still want to try it mm-hmm. but i start thinking about my own problem and in all times you may not have problems that you want to solve right now you may not recognize them it doesn't mean that you can't solve other mm-hmm. but because so many people told me i thought i can't build a product for someone else it has to be my own mm-hmm. Yeah. but when we went through this whole discovery process i think that i don't hold that opinion anymore okay. you can build for others it's hard definitely much much harder yeah. than building a product for yourself mm-hmm. but in many cases especially i think for the next 10 years most products that we built in india will be built for tier 2 tier 3 audiences mm-hmm. yeah. right and most of these people who will be building startups will come from metros will mm-hmm. come from iits yeah. and they will not be themselves yep. but yeah. you still have to solve for that yep yeah i think it's also so important if it's if your user is not yourself is that you care deeply about the users yes um and it's clear from how you talk that you do um care all right so switching topics a little bit um i want to talk a little bit about the indian startup ecosystem because it's been growing pretty rapidly recently um and it seems like things are starting to click which is great um so maybe first question about that is how 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 has the ecosystem evolved since you've started like what have you seen and what works and what doesn't i think one very positive thing has happened in the ecosystem is when we started everyone was like tell me what are you a copy of either in us or in china right and because of that we struggled a lot in our early days because we could not figure out a parallel for this in either or us or china mm-hmm. and people say ke hey all big indian businesses so far in tech have been a copy of one of the other mm-hmm. you can localize it but they are still inspired by something but what has happened right over the last 3 years and a lot of that has changed because again of reliance geo and with upi which is the new payment system in india mm-hmm. people are able to transact online and people are online mm-hmm. so now you are building products for like the tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 they don't behave in the same way as western users do mm-hmm. so you can't get the same ins- western inspired product into india and get make it work for them mm-hmm. yep right so now a lot of new companies are coming up who are taking a very new approach like first time building out for these users understanding bottom up what their problems are mm-hmm. not thinking top down this is how it should be because this exists in us yep yeah makes sense right so i think this is a very big positive development for india yeah aside from what you're working on are there other big problems in india that you think founders 
could focus on or should focus on yeah yeah and and most of this would be for the same audience right so all of these users tier 2 tier 3 tier 4 users have come online in the last 3 years and we have started to solve commerce for them which is obviously the most basic need but then people will start focusing on ke hey can we solve housing for them education for them healthcare for them mm-hmm. i think the journey has just started over the next 10 years people will figure out everything for these guys yep because these people right now use only whatsapp facebook maybe a couple more apps maybe misho and that's all yep yeah right so how do you solve for where do they spend more time how can you build and train from them entertainment for them everything else mm-hmm. so i'm sure there are hundreds of possible idea that will come for but it will come from the same audience and people who are close to them will be able to figure out the right answers yeah makes sense um do you think it's possible it's great that you know um people in india are build are building stuff for themselves now makes total sense do you think it's possible for foreigners to come into india and start a startup here would you suggest it at all i think it's definitely possible but it's difficult mm-hmm. and now especially for sure like 10 years ago you could have just done this, like got uber here or maybe yep. something else here and that would have worked but now if you have to go and understand nuances of someone that you don't culturally relate to it's harder yep right so i'm sure people can do it and the great thing is especially for western audience unlike china people mostly build product in english mm-hmm. right and since people speak english outside they can come and build for the same audience mm-hmm. but understanding how do people use it a lot of that has to be learned out so someone who can do it maybe can build it out so it's harder but not impossible cool what is your best piece of advice for aspiring indian founders my best piece of advice for aspiring indian founders will be just go out and stay very close to users the only thing that has worked for us and i think will work for a lot of people when they build out for this audience is being super user focused mm-hmm. do not listen to anyone except what your user says stay close to them always do not assume things for them challenge everything that exists as a default right now as what status quo is is the ux the same do you build it out in english or do you build it out in vernacular languages mm-hmm. or you um maybe the journey user journey will be very different maybe you have to let go of saying ke hey i will not have a call center maybe these guys need to speak to someone to get the problem solved mm. like you have to challenge all notions that are good and bad out there because a lot of these users think in very different ways we have seen if you speak to a user on phone suddenly the trust level goes up yep mm-hmm. because they think they're speaking to a person not a company mm-hmm. and they trust a person more than a company mm-hmm. so i'm saying you will have to challenge a lot of ways of how startups are built of how products are built mm-hmm. but if you stay very close to users if you're super user focused people will figure out answers and i'm there need to be a lot of problem solved for these audiences yeah that makes a lot of sense all right so um want to finish off with a lightning round which is like five quick, quick five quick questions <laughs> um so one after misha what is the most exciting startup in india um it's hard um i would say share chat right and yep. share chat because they are one of the few other companies who have built a product for india right building out for the tier 2 tier 3 like a lot of people are coming and spending all their time on share chat mm-hmm. yeah so for for the audience what is what is share chat so share chat is a vernacular social network in india built for smaller towns and cities mm-hmm. and it's where people come and go through content in their own language mm-hmm. yep. uh written by people around them so there's so many lang- there's so many languages in uh in India do you know how many yeah there are a lot there yeah, are a lot too many yeah yeah so it is said that like 
a dialect at least changes every two kilometers in India. Oh, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. insane. Yep. Cool. Um, so you went to IIT Delhi. So one, why is Delhi the best IIT? <laughs> um, I think being in the capital obviously helps. And if you see most of unicorn founders in India are from IIT Delhi, you look at Flipkart, Zomato, <laughs> and a lot yeah. more, right? So it's, it's always been, and I'm proud of it. If you ask me, why did I start this company? I was super inspired by what Flipkart founders did, mm -hmm. right? And I said, if they can do it, we can do it as well. Yeah. And that's what inspires and a lot of IT Delhi founders go out and start companies. So mm -hmm. I'm sure like, people took this because people were close to capital. That is definitely there. Mm -hmm. sort, of, sort of becoming like a Stanford equivalent in Silicon Valley. Yeah, Delhi for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, what's the best IT after Delhi? <laughs> I don't think there's any oh, other no. best IT after Delhi. <laughs> okay. But I, if I have to pick a name, um, because a lot of my friends, very close friends, come from IIT Kharagpur. I would say IIT Kharagpur. Okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs> what's your What's a must-read book everyone Everyone should read, and why? There's a book that I read every year, okay. and again and again. It's the hard thing about hard things, right? Because I just feel for a founder. By Ben Horowitz. Yeah, um, because you go back. And a lot of situations you face is just written in that book. And it's written, it's not saying, hey, this is good and this is bad, but it's a very neutral perspective. This is happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to take calls, right? A lot of things I've done, enabling me to take the right decisions. I sort like many times use framework that exists in that book. So I've read it, I think, la four times in the last four years. I just go back and revise everything. Yep. Yeah, that's my favorite. When, I, when people ask me what book should I read related to startups, that's that's. That and Founders at Work by Jessica Livingston are the only two books. And I remember reading it during a rough patch when I, when, during my startup. And I was like, Th thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm not the only one. Uh, all right. Uh, what's a startup idea you'd be working on if Misha didn't happen? Um, I, like, I don't know. But as I said, it will be if I do a startup today, yeah. I will do it for the tier two and tier three audience. I will not build it for the metro audience. Makes, makes sense. All right, last question. In a hundred years from now, what do you hope Misha is? I think hundred years is a long time. Like business change, tech will change. I don't know if it will be mobile, it will be something else, right? So hundred years is a very, very long time for technology. But as an organization, I think one thing that should stay until then has to be that, hey, we should stay user-focused. And I think if that framework is there, if the team continues to believe in that even 100 years from now, I think we will stay for 100 years and we'll build products which will be very scalable, which will impact lives in ways that no, most people can't imagine. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it will be a company which will still be user-focused. Could be doing something else yes. with new technologies, I don't know. That makes sense, that's a great answer. Cool, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, cool. All right. Thanks for listening. So as always, you can find the transcript and the video at blog.ycombinator.com. And if you have a second, it would be awesome to give us a rating and review wherever you find your podcast. See you next time.